We are examining, have been, Satan as an adversary. One of the verses which tells us that he is, is 1 Peter 5.8. And the more I study this subject, the more I have spent time on it, spent a lot of time on this this time, like I'd never done it before, and I have, but after all of the years of experience and all that uh, we've seen happen within these walls, it's even more edifying this time than it has ever been. So in this particular verse we read, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. An adversary is an enemy. An adversary stands in the way. An adversary attacks. The scriptures also, besides actually using the word adversary, use other names for the devil which have in them uh, the adversarial role such as in Revelation 9.11 Revelation 9.11 Abaddon, which is synonymous with Apollyon. Both these words mean destroyer. An adversary is one who destroys. And in this particular context, the devil is likened to a king over a swarm of locusts. If you read the context... Look in verse 2. Then in verse 3. It is the devil who is described in verse 1 as the star that fell from heaven onto the earth. He's the one who was given the key of the bottomless pit, given it by God, of course. So that he might exercise this uh, attack as king over the locusts, which represent, of course, those who are his, both his angelic co-laborers and the ungodly. Also in Matthew 12:24 we have another name besides Abaddon and Apollyon which has in it an adversarial content Matthew 
Beelzebub, prince of the devils. That's a reference to demons. Devils are demons. And uh, this is a picture of uh, a dunghill which has beetles swarming over it. This actually is a reference to Satan as the Lord of the dwelling. That's what the term means. Beelzebub or Beelzebul. The Lord of the dwelling. And the dwelling is this dunghill with the beetles swarming. And that certainly is quite adversarial if you get the picture. It harmonizes with the term king in Revelation 9.11. So he is Lord of the dwelling. He is king over his empire, which is likened to these locusts and to these beetles, neither of which are a very pleasant sight. And they had a king over them which is the angel of the bottomless pit. Then we have the term wicked one in Matthew thirteen nineteen. We looked at all of these last Sabbath evening and examined each to find the meaning. Matthew thirteen nineteen. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked and catcheth away that which is sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. And then for further expl explanation, we can go to verse 38 of the same chapter. And we find out, that the field is the world, the good seed of the children of the kingdom, but the terrors are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. And we find out that in this particular word there is also uh, the meaning of being malicious, which simply means with intent to hurt. So in all of these terms thus far, we have a further description of the devil, of Satan, as the adversary. Be uh, it the term Abaddon or Apollyon, or the term Beelzebub or Beelzebul, or the term Wicked One. Now we come to what the devil really desires to do. And again, I'd remind you, this is not a mere Bible study, hopefully. You know, it's kind of interesting to go through all this, look up all the verses, get all the names down. But uh, this is to lead us to appreciate what is buzzing around us. You know, when we get out there in the world and everyday life, it seems like everything's buzzing around us. Well, there's another world buzzing around us. 
That's the world of God and his angels and the devil and his demons. And if you believe in one, you must believe in the other. And it's truly amazing how much there is in this book about the devil. And of course, one of his tricks is he doesn't want to be talked about. He doesn't like us having studies like this, like these. He would like to be left alone. We'll be getting into all of that when we look at the devil as a deceiver. Just listening to my brother Bradley in the way here on tape, and interestingly enough, the message he's preaching is just about that, false prophets and deception, and how hard they are to, to unearth, how vicious they are to the welfare of the visible church. But what is he really after? John 8, 44. The capital crime. Now, Jesus here is addressing the spiritual leaders of the Jews who were very proud of themselves. For example, in verse 33 of John 8, they had said, in answer to Jesus uh, defining who one of his disciples, what his disciples looked like, if you continue my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? They were proud of their religious heritage. They were proud of being children of Abraham. Born within the framework of the visible church. Born and, in modern terminology, baptized. Brought up in the tradition of their religion. And relying on that for salvation. To get to heaven. Well, Jesus has another message for them that I've often said, one thing that's nice about Jesus' ministry is it was nice and plain. Nice and straightforward. It wasn't all wrapped up in theological jargon and big words. There wasn't any paradox there. What does he tell them in verse 44? He says, you're of your father the devil. That was plain enough. Where are the preachers like that today? And the lusts of your father you will do. In other words, what you are doing manifests that you are his children. Your works betray what you are. He was a murderer from the beginning. Here is again Satan as the adversary even unto death. A killer. He's a murderer. What do we think of murderers today? We hear about murders all the time, don't we? Some heinous murders. Awful crimes. What do you think about them? Are you glad to hear about them? Are you glad to hear about that murderer? 
course not, if you're in your right mind. You'd just be like the murderer himself if you weren't that. Out of your mind. But the devil is said by Jesus to be a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. And that's going to be a key phrase later when we come to the doctrine of deception. We're going to be dealing at length with the doctrine of deception. He did not abide in the truth, which means he must have fallen away from it. At one time he must have been in it. He must have fallen away from it. He must be a fallen angelic being because there's no truth in him. This is the devil we're talking about now. The head of his kingdom. He speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. But the reference at this point is to show us that the devil is out to kill us. You want some verses that indicate the same truth? 1 John 3.12 John again, only this time writing a, a short letter. Isn't this instructive? Sure, Cain killed Abel. Sure, Cain was responsible for that killing. Sure, Cain was a murderer because he didn't like Abel's evangelical faith. But there's a little phrase tucked in there, isn't there? Right after Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. See? The devil was there applauding the act. Just as we will, will read later in the, in the history of Jesus about Judas. We read it was Satan applauding the act. When you think about, if you're a professing Christian tonight and you believe you've been born again, converted to Christ, you're in the arena. You've got a watcher. The watcher is Satan. And the watcher wants you killed. He wants you out of the way. He doesn't like your testimony. And he'll use means. Just as he here used Cain. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Here we have works righteousness versus faith. Cain works righteousness. I'll bring you, Lord, when I want to bring you. I know what you've been teaching about uh, blood sacrifice to represent the coming atonement which would be made, which will be made by Messiah, Jesus. But that doesn't matter. I'm coming with my own stuff. Not able. 
this is a good verse. I don't want to get sidetracked here. That's the main topic. But this is a good verse to, to show how much the world hates the preaching of the cross. That's why Paul said the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. He doesn't like this emphasis upon the sacrifice being required by God for the forgiveness of sins, and for justification, for being declared righteous, and for entrance to heaven. He doesn't like that. It likes the works way. The works way will lead you to hell. That's why the poet put it so well when he said, Cast your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. I like that. You bring all your doing, you cast it down at Jesus' feet. You look to him to be the Savior, your Savior. And also in Hebrews 2.14, this murderous intention of the devil. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. That's the Son of God, that's the Lord of glory. Hebrews 2.14 That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. So Jesus said he's a murderer from the beginning. It's indicated through the action of Cain against Abel and it's restated here by the writer or the lecturer or preacher to the Hebrews who has the power of death the devil given of course given what did he desire when he came into Eden and had his conversation with Eve The answer is elementary, isn't it? Let's go back to the root again. Let's get back to this historical fact again. This isn't some allegory. This isn't some myth. This isn't some illustration. This actually took place here on this planet. Where Eden was located. At that time, that kind of talk comes from being given faith, by the way. You don't try to prove that. Faith's a gift, just as it tells us in Hebrews, it's by faith we believe that God created all out of nothing. All these arguments and stuff about... Uh, the, the universe and its creation and all the rest is being needed to, to prove the existence of God and to prove the necessity of faith is nonsense. Now, they're interesting additives, but they're after the fact. Faith is a gift. So I hope that you believe that this actually took place, what's recorded here in Genesis 3. And it's sad to say, we live in a time when even in some so-called orthodox circles such as the Christian Reformed Church, as it's called, there are some debates about this uh, being an actual historical reality. It might just be illustrative. 
That's not the faith of our fathers. That's not what the, the secondary standards that our Presbyterian fathers gave us in the uh, Westminster Confession of Faith and Catechisms believed. Again, I'm trying to hold myself in here on this track. But we notice that Satan was interested in the death of Adam and Eve. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto him, unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. But that was a trick. That was to get her to believe that she wouldn't die so that she would die. And she did die. And her husband with her. Because he didn't uh, exercise the authority that God had given to the man as head of the woman. He let the woman lead him around. But out of God's order. Of course, when you get out of God's order, you're into disorder. There's no alternative. If God has given the chain of command, that's it. Right? God, man, woman, children, master, servant. It's all in there. So Adam didn't uh, fulfill his role. And they both got death. First of all, spiritual. They lost their fellowship with God, which it had. That sweet and beautiful fellowship didn't know the difference between good and evil. Then they came to know very vividly. Physical. They would both hit the dust, to use a, <laughs> a rather rough term. they die physically. And then, if they were not converted along the way, Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. We don't have a record of that in Scripture. Hopefully they were. But if they weren't, they'd have eternal death. So it's death, death, death. And that's what the devil wanted. He wanted to murder them in this way. He wanted them to be killed with spiritual death, to be killed with physical death, and to be killed with eternal death, to join him in hell. Because that's what Jesus said, that hell is prepared for the devil and his angels. So he's a murderer. He is a destroyer who seeks to destroy to the death. Have you got all this? You know this is important for you to understand this as it is important for you to understand the God of Scripture. Because the great conflict of the universe the great conflict of time is between God and the devil. And that's why I've entitled this little series, Know Your Enemy. It's most important. And you can see that as we continue to accumulate evidence, it becomes pretty weighty when you think of what we've covered already, speaking of his, his work as indicated by his 
names devil, which means accuser, Satan, which means adversary, and then these other names that we've examined uh, further this evening, Abaddon, Apollyon, Beelzebub, Beelzebul, the wicked one, murderer. But we're not through yet. This gets even more vivid. Now, why would God put all this in here if it wasn't a serious business? Why would he want us to get these pictures before our minds? Why would he use these various illustrations, such as those creatures mentioned in Revelation 9, 3, 5, and 10? And uh, we in this part of the world, especially if you've been out in the desert there, know something about these creatures. And they are God's illustrations. They are his parables, if you please, to teach us spiritual truth, to bring some, something vividly before our minds, to, in this case, to use a pun, to feel the sting. Because what we've got here in 9.1 is this story. And the fifth angel sounded... And I saw a star fall from heaven onto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And then we go down to three, and there came out of the smoke locusts, we've already looked at that term, upon the earth, and unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. Verse 5. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. Has anyone here ever been struck by a scorpion? How many of you know what a scorpion is? That's good. There's something to keep away from, aren't they? That God has it in the Word. It must be to, to impress us, just as Jesus sought to impress his audiences with various vivid illustrations, some beautiful, some ugly. So here, and in verse 10, and they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. which is a, a representation of time. So, the hosts of the devil, and indeed the devil himself as one of those angelic beings whom God has let loose upon the face of the earth, is likened to a scorpion. That's why we really ought to be burdened by the visible church that tries to smile its way through. It's not really serious. It doesn't know what spiritual warfare is like many of our fathers did. Even someone as messed up as Martin Luther was at some understanding of that. His craft and power are great. And armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal, said Luther, of the devil. In that poem, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. 
And then another figure, 9, 7. And the shapes of the locusts, which we've already seen, are so destructive, were like unto horses prepared unto battle. Another figure indicating the adversarial role of the devil and his hosts. They are like galloping war horses against us. They are coming at us. You understand this? Do you hear the hoofs? In olden times, there was nothing more fearful than the horse used in warfare. It was fearful. Just as uh, some folk don't realize that World War I was actually a war of more suffering than World War II. It was horrific in World War I because of the closeness of the combat and the, the terror of the trenches and the poison gas. It was horrendous. We need to realize in those olden times what this figure meant. These horses are lined up to charge. In Russia, not all that long ago, turn of the century, the Cossacks still existed. They still exist as a kind of an emblem today. But there was a time when one of the greatest fears was to have a Cossack rush, a horse rush in war. That's what the devil and his hosts are liking to. That's pretty adversarial, isn't it? Verse 9. These horses, look at them. They had breastplates as it were, breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running in battle. God is giving John on Patmos as an exile for his faith, for his testimony to the faith he has. These wonderful pictures to instruct him. He's like Bunyan in prison who was able to write the Pilgrim's Progress out of it. And then the one we've already looked at in 1 Peter 5, 8, but it's also in Revelation 9, Lion. Revelation 9, verse 8. They had hair as the hair of women. Notice that that indicates women had long hair. And their teeth were as the teeth of lions. Now you're getting the picture. We have a vicious foe. That there is a devil just as surely as there is a God. He's illustrated under all of these figures. I'm going to stop there tonight because we have a rather lengthy session meeting planned afterwards but uh, there's more to come folk I just scratched the surface as yet and you better realize it if you're a professing Christian as I said earlier you are in the arena and there are satanic hosts watching you nothing's changed as they were active in scripture. As the devil for example desired to have Job for a while. So he may desire to have you for a while. Even as he was allowed to have Peter for a while. So he may have you for a while. Think about it. 
That's why we need to be hanging in with the Word. And we'll be getting into victory sooner or later. <laughs> if we get there the way I'm going. But we will be getting into the armor, how to use it. Part of it's the Word. Part of it's prayer. Of course, part of it is to exercise the faith that we've been given, many of us. And fellowship with those of kindred mind, kindred love, and kindred purpose. Shall we pray? Lord, thank you for the word. It's a great blessing. Truly, as far as our experience of it is concerned, our cup is full and running over. So, Lord, we pray that we may think well about what we have been engaged in since we were first born again, because until we're born again, we're one of Satan's subjects. Until you rescue us. And so the battle really only begins after we're born again. That's when the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Because it's only after we are born again that we have the Holy Spirit within and the struggle begins. And if the Apostle Paul experienced it, we may expect to experience it also. We're thankful, Lord Jesus, that you made an atonement for the sins of your people. Otherwise, we'd all be on our way to hell, which is what we deserve. But you came and you defeated the devil. For our first parents, as we read this morning, failed, you prevailed. Adam and Eve are disobedient, but you are obedient. And the Father has accepted your obedience on behalf of those sheep whom you came to save. And the Father has poured out his wrath against sin, which all of your sheep deserve upon you in your sufferings and death. On that basis, your sheep are forgiven. And your knowledge of their forgiveness is given to them by the Holy Spirit, giving them new birth, regeneration, working in them, causing them to see that Jesus had come and lived and died for them. And so they come to him one by one. May each of us know that we have come to Jesus. May each of us know that we have called upon the name of the Lord. For whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, thank you for the good news, for the gospel, that we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. Lord Jesus, as you were the winner and are the winner, and we are joined to you, so we are the winners too. And we shall be in heaven in spite of our sinful natures, in spite of our sins, in spite of what we deserve, all because of you. We magnify you, we glorify you. In your name, Amen.